This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Bradley James. He plays Felix Sparks, what a name, in The Liberator on Netflix. This show, four-part show, actually combines CGI with live action in a fantastic new way. You have to see it to understand it. I uh, liken it to a moving graphic novel that moves. Um, Bradley and I talk about so much. We talk about the early days, him booking individual jobs, all the way through this Netflix show, and so much more. So I really do hope you enjoy this episode, and keep on keeping on. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on the show on Zoom is Bradley James. Bradley, thank you for joining me today. We come together from Anne, who also helped me uh, speak with Scott Patterson, Gilmore Girls, a few months ago. I want to talk to you about The Liberator on Netflix, this World War II four-part series, and so much more. But I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Firstly, Clayton, thank you very much for your time today. Massively appreciate that. Of course. Um, of course. Entertainment dreams when I was growing up. I would say when I was a kid, uh, and we're talking quite young here, my mum had me watching Bond movies. And without being able to articulate what it was I was seeing, I'd be watching them going, oh, I want to I do that. I want to be that. I didn't realize necessarily that y- you could be an actor in those days. I was uh, too young and... Um, you know, pretty stupid as a child. Um, but as I grew up and saw more films and became aware that, uh, well, eventually I became aware that acting wasn't a sort of like secret club that you needed to have the password to. <laughs> I think that was a bit of a blockade for a while, but it was essentially seeing films and then finding myself involved in school plays and um, getting into those, not necessarily because I was wanting to become an actor, but for example, there'd be like a girl I fancied who was doing a school play. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the school play. <laughs> um, and then I found myself, you know, loving doing the school play. So um, I've always, whenever I've immersed myself in the world, I've always just felt how to not say this in as corny a way as possible, but I've just, I've felt like I've, I am where I needed to be whenever I've immersed in those, in those environments. That's a beautiful feeling, especially when you can be in touch with, you know, where life is taking you and listening to life and all of that, all of that comes with that. Uh, specifically, I have to ask, which Bond, which James Bond? Oh, all of them at that stage. So. Okay. I mean, because we're talking about the ones that would sort of turn up on telly. So you, you're talking both uh, Connery and Moore. Um, I'm sure it wasn't too long before I was then introduced to Lazenby and Dalton by that by that stage. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, that, in those days, it was it was whatever was on TV. I think she wasn't she wasn't kind of sneaking me into the cinema going to see like a 12 rated movie whilst I was four right, right. Uh, that irresponsible she was <laughs> her, her irresponsibility was being performed at home within the safety of the four walls that we called our house so uh yeah it wasn't too wasn't too um illicit behavior 
Sure, sure, sure. Um, I have to ask, you know, the internet is sometimes a, a wonderful place where you can get a lot of information. Sometimes it's non-factual. So please fact check me if any of these questions oh. don't line up. What was yeah. the what was the impetus? Why did you guys move to Jacksonville and then back to the UK? What was that that jump? Um, that's a great question, and I only have a vague account of this. Again, I was very young. Um, oh, okay. I think it was essentially work related. Okay. Uh, I think a uh, I think a, a, a role came up, which. Uh, not an acting role uh, in my dad's case, um, but I think uh, a job role in whatever field he's in, every time he tells me what he does, I get more confused about what he actually does. Um, but a role came up that he couldn't necessarily say no to and um, everybody was on board. I, I say I was on board. I don't really think I had much of a say in the matter, but uh, yeah, grew up in Florida because of it. Okay. Did you... Um when was the when was the the particular moment in time where you decided okay I'm going to do this acting thing, you know full time I'm going to take it seriously this is going to be it. Um, that's do you know what there was, uh, I think I figured this out a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks um, ago. <laughs> yeah, because <there's, laughs> there was always a there was always a desire there. Again, I use I, I sort of. I sort of phrase it in the way that I couldn't articulate what it was or how I was going to do it. But I remember I was at, um, at high school or, or sixth form college as it was in, in England. And um, we were supposed to fill out these forms for universities and you're supposed to fill out what it was you wanted to go on and do. And I was there thinking, well, I don't, there's nothing I, I want to do on these, on these lists. Like I don't, I'm, I'm looking at all these subjects. I'm like, none of these are holding any level of inspiration for me whatsoever. And I'd been involved in, uh, you know, the drama program, as it were, at that stage. And there was a girl who, if we were in France, her name would be pronounced Amelie. But because of the area of England we were in, um, it was it's pronounced Amelie. Uh, it's quite, quite a thick layer put on that. Yeah, that French um, sophistication, <laughs> Emily, and she suddenly just pops up with. She was sort of sat next to me as we're looking at these computer screens, looking at you know the different courses, and she goes, "Well, why don't you just go to drama school?" And I was like, "Drama school? What? What is that?" Um, I, I thought she just made the term up on the spot. Like I had no idea what she was talking about. She's like, "Yeah, they, drama schools. They you know they teach, train actors and stuff." And I couldn't, I couldn't believe I'd never been introduced to this idea before. Um, but it's because I'm not from a background of people who have any exposure to that, to that world whatsoever. Mm. And I suddenly looked up drama schools and went, oh, my God, you can actually train to be an actor and become an actor. This is a thing. This is actual, you know, this can actually happen. Right, right. And as soon as I found out that, you know, I hadn't just been in, sort of having pipe dreams of uh, that you know could never be realized that they were actually there was actually a tangible route that you could take mm. um that was it and i you know got myself auditioning for drama schools and i, I was very fortunate because the one that i felt most passionately about uh was the drama center and um i, I don't know what it says about me they tend to take on uh, slightly unhinged cases, uh, <laughs> it's affectionately known as the trauma center. You'll, you'll be aware of, uh, their alumni in, in the lines of, uh, sort of a Tom Hardy, Michael Fassbender type. They're not people who, um, 
you know, you sort of know what they're going to do next, I would say. Um, and that's the type of actor they, they trained. And I, I was just drawn to that, that sort of, um, that style, that environment. And thankfully they had me, they took me. Was it a uh, hell yeah, the whole time for you? Or was it a questionable first year, second year in, um, in performing? I had three years. I think when I first arrived and I realized that this was something that everybody was feeling. I think when I first arrived, there was that thing of going, oh, God, I'm going to get found out here. And they're going to go, oh, we made a mistake with you. You, <laughs> you need to go back. I spent the entire time. I had some of the best years I've ever had. Yeah. Um, I was just immersed in this environment with like-minded people who were all sort of, you know, wanting to train in this craft. Um, there was there was no there was no turning back once I heard the term drama school. Let alone when I got got to one. Uh, but when I got to drama center, I realized I was at the I was definitely at the right place. And you were also playing uh, football, a good um, not American football where we throw it, but football where you where you kick it. Well, <laughs> For I, you know what? I, here. <laughs> I actually I actually missed. Uh, I when I was um, when I was a kid, I was playing American football. Yeah, and you know I was flinging the the ball around quite well and I was like yeah I'm really enjoying this and of course I stopped because I moved to England right. and when I, I eventually went back to Florida I think I might have been about 18 something like that and I got in touch straight away with um, one of my best friends called Chris Crider and he was like oh you should come and join this game that we're playing I was like yeah yeah I used to be really good at this sport I'm going to join in and of course five years worth of all these kids getting bigger, stronger, and faster, and, you know, throwing and catching for five years, yeah. where I'd not been in five years. My word was a fool made out of me. Um, <laughs> but uh, thankfully, I'd, um, I had a misspent youth playing English football as well. Um, and it's always been a great form of escapism for me. What was the, what was the path to landing the episode of Lewis? in 2008 how did how did post-college translate into oh other people think i'm good at this i can do That's this right. uh, <laughs> well that, i mean i'm flattered that you thought their reaction to me was that they thought i was good at um and they just needed someone to fill the role um yeah. <laughs> i remember uh i went in to see a director called bill anderson and i'd just come out of um drama school and I had two auditions very close to each other and the first one I ever did um I got it was for something called disconnected and I sort of went oh well this is this is easy you just turn up and ask you know ask for a job and they give it to you and of course <laughs> how wrong was I but around about the same time I went in to see a director called Bill Anderson and I walked in and Bill sort of looked at me and we uh, we read a scene and he goes, right, I've got this part and I've got this part. Which part do you want? And I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take that part. Mm. And he was like, yeah, I, th I thought you would. And I came away from that going, oh, this is even easier. Not only do you just walk in and, and just get the job, you get to choose which part you want to play. <laughs> My word, as the industry corrected me since that day, because uh, I've not had anyone um, ask me which part I wanted to play ever since. It's always been, you know, maybe you want to do this. Well, um, maybe maybe we don't want you to do this. You know, it's right. it's uh, it was a very... Um, 
I, I, I had a, a sugar-coated start, shall we say, when it came to my first few jobs. Um, I'm not sure if sugar-coated is the right term, but it was uh, it, it led me into a maybe a false sense of security of how you know how the industry was going to be. But um, I I learned a lot in a short space of time on on both those two jobs, and in fact. Uh, going out and doing auditions straight after drama school, that was a learning experience in itself because you suddenly like, oh my God, we are not in that safe bubble that we were provided with mm. for three years. We're in the industry and we're making impressions on people which they may be holding on to for a while before you get to improve upon them. So uh, a well lot said. learned in a short space of time being thrown out into the industry. Yeah, do you have uh, mentors, people you check in with, regularly or occasionally i would love to say the answer is a is a firm yes um i guess i have them um i i don't have anyone specifically who i will ring up um i think i when you when you work with certain people you may have like a period of time where they play that role uh for the time that they're in your life um this, this is gonna probably make our relationship sound more grandiose than it is but i've worked with charles dance a couple of times now hmm. and um he i always equate our relationship to uh do you know the scene in jurassic park where sam neil is trying to choose which vehicle he wants to get into and the kid is chasing after him telling him about his book telling him about all this that's me and charles dance like whenever <laughs> we're together I'm there going, so Charles, I watched this, I watched you in that, and I watched you in this. And then Charles is like, yes, um, which room are you going into? <laughs> well, I'll go into whichever one you are. You know, it's it, that, it, that's the relationship. Um, there's one other guy, actually, who uh, can't get rid of me because we're in too, too many social uh, groups together, and it's <laughs> Tobias Menzies. And Tobias Menzies is a phenomenal actor. I, he is a terrific actor. And um, he gets a pretty similar response from me when I'm, you know, whenever we're in the, the same room together, because uh, he's also hilarious. So more more from a from a comedy standpoint, do I flit around him than, uh, you know, from the mentor standpoint? I just watch his work uh, and take him on board as a mentor. That's amazing. I uh, I know it's all about it's all about professional relationships, right? Everyone, it's who you know, who knows you, that whole kit and caboodle. I'm curious mm. what the relationship to the producers was. Uh, those producers who cast you as King uh, Arthur in Merlin after disconnected. What was that yeah. transitional connection period with them? Well, we were um, again. This is part of this kind of introduction to the industry that I had that. Um, I'm not quite sure how realistic it was for the for the rest of my career. But we, as I say, I had done Disconnected. I, it was the, my first audition out of drama school. And I walked onto the set, didn't have a clue what I was doing in truth. Um, but obviously had, we had something going on, some sort of like raw energy that they were they were happy with. And as we were filming it, uh, they they came up and said, right, we've got this other project we've got coming up and we've, we've got you in mind for the role of King Arthur. And um, again, being as naive as I, as I was at the time, I just assumed this is the norm. You work with someone and then they tell you about their next project, which they're going to get you uh, involved in. 
And um, what happened was a few months went by in between the project that we'd been working on finishing. And then all of a sudden, every drama school graduate going into audition for a show called Merlin, apart from me. And I was thinking to myself, oh my word, they've, they've watched the end product of this show, which hadn't come out yet. They've watched this show and they've gone, actually, that was a bad idea. We probably shouldn't have said that to him. And I went, I went for a while of not hearing anything specific about the project, certainly not hearing from my agent about it. Until one day I, I, I get a phone call and my agent says, right, um, they want to bring you in to, for this, this BBC show that's being made. It's called Merlin. Of course, I'm there trying to act cool about it. Um, and I went, yo, what's that? <sighs> okay, sure. Yeah, sound, sounds vaguely interesting. Of course, you know, <laughs> they're going, oh my God, thank God for this. Um, and I went in and I had the bizarrest meeting, again, not re realistic to the industry at all, where I went in and had a cup of tea with the director and he showed me pictures of the castle we were going to be filming at. I say we were going to be filming it. I didn't know I was going to be filming at it because I didn't have the job at this stage. Mm. But for some reason, he was just sort of like saying, oh, and this is where, this is the castle. And, you know, we've got this antechamber here. And, and I was thinking, I don't, I'm not sure I want to look at this because this is, this is cruel. This right. is just teasing me. I was going to say. <laughs> um, and then that was it. I, 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 he said, right, I, thanks very much. Uh, speak to you soon. And I, I came out completely confused by the whole experience lo and behold i had to go in again read with a load of other people who they had in mind for other um characters as well as sit in the same room with people who they had in mind for my character mm. um so uh it was a confusing experience which um you know i i my any hubris that i had when i first heard about you know people going in um to audition for it evaporated quickly and um, I was, you know, on a knife edge the whole time. Mm. Then when I was fortunate enough to get the role, they later on in, I think it's like a DVD commentary, they said, oh, yeah, we had Bradley in mind for the role since as soon as we, we, uh, we started casting. And <laughs> I was, I'm quite pleased they put me through the ringer, really, because it, you know, it um, meant that I didn't walk in there with, a, with, with, with an ego, the, you know, the size of the set. Um, knowing that I was part of it from from day one, you're a you're a great guy, and I I'm catching that real quick. You Come know, on you, now, you, you can check. Hey, no, 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 accept it. They, you know how you can you can catch that in a few minutes of talking to someone. You're very down to earth, and I know it can be projected on you, especially if you're the lead in something that people might assume. Oh, this guy he's going to be a bit of a difficult one. We got to watch out, <laughs> tiptoe. You know, and that can it can happen. It's not all the time. But you have a really great demeanor, you know, about yourself. And That's kind of I want to. I want to get in. You're very welcome. Uh, it's all you. I want to get into the Liberator and how that came about. That's a big deal. And uh, what was what was the journey to this? To you know, leading this four part series on Netflix. Um, and how was it? You know, how was it on set? I have a ton of questions, and we'll just roll into it. But let's start yeah. with how it began. And then we'll get into the day-to-day -day of it. 
Well, um, first of all, I should probably point out off the back of that incredible compliment you just fired my way. I'm sure there are moments and there are people who might hear this and go, well, you're talking about the wrong Bradley here. Um, oh, I'm, sure I've had my, my, I'm sure I've had my moments in, in, in the past, but I, I, I do thank you for those kind words. That's the, the lush that has just adorned my face that your listeners can't see. <laughs> um, Liberator came about because, uh, again, you know, your your agent sends you um, scripts to read and auditions to go for, and this one came through, and I was barely any other way through it when I had a, I, I sort of describe um, this thing happening three times where there was a sort of a connection to a part and just knowing um, that, I had a journey to go on with this with this part. It's happened three times in my career where I've had that feeling, mm. and then I've gone on to get the to get the role. And this um, was probably the strongest of those uh, sensations, possibly, um, where I picked it up, and I I literally this this script the the sides to the script that I was working on did not leave my side until I walked into the the room to to read for this part. Um, and I, you know, I must have read the, a, a sort of insane amount of times I read the, the script, I think, um, you know, uh, looking back, it was probably a bit daft to, to be so, um, what's the word when you are sort of besotted? Uh, well, maybe that is the word. Um, uh, when you're maybe a bit too transfixed on something. Um, and uh, I, I went into the room and met with a, a lady called Nancy Bishop. And I think you can sometimes uh, sense when you're having an effect on the, on the people in the room when you're doing these, or, these auditions. Um, and I, I got that sort of vibe from Nancy. She created this warm atmosphere for me to basically just, you know, give the performance I've been preparing for, for the last sort of, three two or three days whatever it was um and i'd actually turned down funny enough i'd actually turned down another audition uh at the same time because i'd said i i've taken both these scripts and i've gone guys i i'm all in on this one um this i i just feel something about this script i'm all in here so i'm, I'm gonna pass on this other one and they went mm. fair enough um i've done that in the past mm. and not got the part <laughs> not got the part but uh but you know I, sometimes I get those, I get those sort of like feelings and just have to follow them through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I then get, uh, uh, a call saying, um, Jeb Stewart wanted to, uh, at the time Skype, uh, with me. Mm. Um, you if people remember that thing that used to have when you used to Skype each other. Yes. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Uh, apologies to zoom who we are, the platform we are currently <laughs> have this conversation. Um, but um although they're probably feeling pretty pleased with themselves yeah the stock's okay <laughs> yeah yeah um and jeb uh i by this time i'd sort of i'd stopped to look at all the trioscope um effects to it and i i was i was excited by it because it was different and i love that and real quick for everyone listening trioscope this is a combination of the state-of-the-art cgi to live performance it's mm. there's a filter that I think Apple has for photos that it's it's you but it's almost pencil drawn but it's better than pencil drawn you have to see it it's yeah it's not just 
you know, a live performance. It's kind of awesome. I love it. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Well, I had seen, I had seen a, a demo. I'd seen a couple of demos, actually. One, one was a full scene that they had shot. And then another was um, a kind of presentational, like, little, like, 10-minute documentary sort of talking about Treoscope and the benefits and, and, and talking about the Liberator. And I'd watched this clip, and I had... Um, they weren't concerns, but I, I sort of had areas where I was like, oh, okay, I've, I've got questions here. Mm. And I and I spoke to Jeb thinking, well, here, you know, here's another guy I'm going to have to, you know, very much impress in, in, in this conversation. And Jeb ha basically then started sort of pitching uh, Trioscope and the Liberator to me. I was thinking, Jeb, Jeb, you don't need to do this. I'm, I'm all in on this script. Um, and I... And that is a mark more to do with the collaboration or the collaboration style of Jeb. That's nothing to do with, you know, um, there's nothing to do with me or, you know, any sort of status I hold at all. And I'm aware of that. Um, but I had watched this clip. They'd shot it what is now four years ago. They shot it on November the 11th, 2016. Mm. The show coming out November 11th. Uh, 2020 yeah. they'd shot it November 11 2016 and I had a few questions and I said so Jeb these things here I can help you with I can deal with these issues I've got with this um with this scene because that's my department but I've got questions here here and here and Jeb said well as soon as I saw this four years ago I had the exact same questions and over the well this would have been two years over the last two years all those questions have been answered for me and that's why I'm here today. And I was like, I'm absolutely sold. I mean, I've been, I would have been sold anyway. Cause the, as I say, the script just, just had me. Um, but as soon as it came to the question marks with Treoscope and I was, a, I was a novice, I was talking about it in layman's terms, but I was also talking about it from the point perspective of an audience and being able to relate to an audience and i i think that was probably the thing i found found important you have to be able to connect to your audience and jeb had had that same sensation and he'd had all those questions answered in those two years uh lo and behold they i got a you know a call saying i'd, I'd got the part and I, I don't think i've been happier yeah yeah it's i was a walking into a podcast actually with a friend of mine um got okay. the call walking up the steps to his house what podcast? Um, it's it's Brett Goldstein's podcast. It's called Films to Be Buried With. <laughs> okay, all it, right. It, it never got it never got aired for um, specific specific reasons, but um, <laughs> uh, Brett Brett does a great podcast. He's in um, he's in Ted Lasso at the moment. Okay, uh, or he's just he's just done that show and and uh, he does a great podcast about uh, it's, you know talking about your favorite films basically. But I was literally walking up the steps and he was the first person I saw and he was like, "Why are you so happy? <laughs> You're happier than usual." <laughs> uh, and uh, you know he was the first to get the news. So um, uh, so yeah, that was that was how it came about. That's incredible! It's absolutely incredible. And the. The way the way I can't wait to finish watching it. I started it and I can't wait to finish. But it's almost like a, a moving graphic novel. You know, it's 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 so real, but it's cartoon, but it's not cartoon. That's like it's a hard thing. You have to check it out. The Liberator. Uh, were you guys completely filming in um, blue screen, green screen? Some anything on on a location or? So it's interesting. 
hearing you and I, I suppose everyone try to describe this because there isn't a vocabulary for it yet. And yeah. I had the same issues really. And I just found myself being fed back the word trioscope. Uh, and of course it's not a word that people have been exposed to um, all that much. And so there are only so many references that people have. We, in terms of shooting, uh what you're seeing in terms of the costumes and the props and like the odd jeep that is very much what we were you know you're you're seeing it Mm -hmm. as is um what is happening as we're filming that is we are in a large blue bowl Mm. which in this case was in a place called wuch in poland and um we are shooting all of it in studio some of it we did on uh the equivalent of like it was like a large green bowl there was a very small proportion where i flew out to atlanta because they had certain uh equipment that was required mm-hmm. and uh we had to we had to do, go and do a few a few scenes in in atlanta but um mm-hmm. the vast majority of it in poland in this big mass blue space and then of course they're basically just moving um uh, you know, blue set stands and blue boxes and, and and what have you. Everything that you're is creating the environment is blue, yeah. and your imagination is you know having to kick into overdrive basically. And the biggest uh, contributing factor to making that work is the homework you do before you get anywhere near the set because you have to have so many um i guess uh sensory realizations to be able to bring onto the set because you're not seeing um you know gunfire in the in the distance you're not having an explosion go off by you you're not being snowed on you're not being you're not cold and wet all these things that um suddenly uh you have to create for the audience to believe that you are around those those environments that are going to be created once you finish filming. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 